Today we're going to continue talking about what it looks like to be the church or to be on mission together as the church. You know, I said something earlier about a, a little church. I mean, we always say that, right? There's nothing little about the church. Um, the great mystery, if we're honest with ourselves and if we're, um, if we're really committed to obeying what Jesus taught us, is that being the church is hard. I mean, doing it right is hard. And sometimes we hear people say about Family Bible Church, well, this is just different here. And, I, and some of you said, I experienced this somewhere else. And some of you said, well, I've never experienced this anywhere else. But I can tell you that we aren't doing this right. We're doing the best we can, but we're making mistakes, no doubt about it, you know? And the truth is that when we hear what Jesus teaches his people, there's two things we have to believe. The first is that he means it. I think he means it. And the second is that it's for our good to do things that are different. Share a meal, break bread, juice, remember Jesus through communion, give our lives to Christ, surrender ourselves, um, acknowledge him in all things. I mean, these are all realities that we're called to live into as imperfectly as, as, we, as we try to do so. And so we're kind of talking about those things. And uh, I was surprised this last week, by the way. Uh, I mentioned, now maybe some of you weren't here last Sunday, so you go, well, this won't be fair to you because you didn't have a chance. But I told you last week during our conversation out of Acts 2, where we started this conversation, is that the apostles shared with, or the, the apostles and disciples, early disciples, shared with each other as anyone had need. And I said, you can come to my house and have anything you want. No one came and took anything. <laughs> Not one of you. I mean, I got like three cars, you know. Well, one's not mine. It's John's. But you could have had his too. He's a believer. I mean, um, he has a four-wheeler. I have a four-wheeler. I have a couple lawnmowers. They're really sketchy, though. You don't want those. But you know what I mean? There's like, um, and we got some cash around. We got stuff. We got some nice TVs. We got these like devices. None of you came and took anything. That's crazy. I don't think we really believe that what the gospel says is true. Now, I don't know what I've done if you showed up and taken something. You can try it this week and see how I tell you what, I'd try to be obedient. This is your chance to cash in, you know what I mean? Pastor appreciation. Thanks, Pastor. And he's just driving away in my car. <laughs> okay, Jesus help me. <laughs> they need it more than I do. I don't know, you know, do we take this stuff seriously? I think I know we do. I mean, I know we're trying hard, right? But I just want to encourage us to keep doing that and to ask that question. So today I want to talk to you a little more about this idea. Uh, I think I need to go to the slide that says, Ruth, can you help me out? I need to go to the slide that says on mission. We'll start there because we're going to have a text next. Um, what it looks like uh, to be on mission together as the, the, the church here, this church, Family Bible Church. Part of the big church, but this church. What does it look like um, to be on mission together? Thank you, Ruth. That's awesome. And, and that's what we're going to kind of dig into. And so today we're going to be actually looking at um, the book of Acts, and we're going to be looking at Acts 6. So if you've got a Bible with you, go ahead and open it up. If you didn't bring one, there should be one on your table, and you can open that up. And we would really want you to read along with us as we study God's Word. It's a big deal to us because we don't want you to believe what I'm saying because I say it, or what Corey or Chris or you know, um, Steve or Rick or Lance or whomever else, Dan or anyone else, says because they say it. Anyone here who would come and speak to you. Uh, we want to be the kind of people that know what God's Word says, um, at least to check up and say, is this really in there? So go ahead and grab a Bible, open it up. Um, I'm just going to read a few verses, and then we're going to talk through here, but read with me if you would. Chapter 6, verse 1. 
In those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the Grecian Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because of their widows were being overlooked at the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait tables. Brothers, choose seven from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and we'll give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the whole group, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit, and Philip, Procurus, Nicanor, Timon, Parameanus, we'll get that one later, uh, Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed, laid hands on them, so the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Now, Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, did great wonders and miraculous signs among the people. Pray with me, if you would, as we try to get some wisdom today from God's word. Father, today we give you thanks again for the opportunity we've had already to, to um, come to you and draw near to you through communion, through this meal, through this fellowship, through this time together as a, as a body of believers, wherever we are on this walk, this journey that you've created us to live into. And we pray, Father God, that today we could actually set our hearts and minds kind of at rest, that we could kind of, um, by your power, like open up a space that we could maybe hear you in a new way today, or we could see something new you have for us today, because we believe you're the God of new things. You're the God who is constantly teaching. You're all-knowing, all-powerful, all-wise, and, and sovereign over everything. And so today we want you to enter into us in this way. We ask that you would inspire us to understand your scriptures we believe you've inspired them to be written, inspired them to be kept for us. And now we ask as we open them to seek wisdom that you would reveal yourself through your word. May you be glorified as we earnestly seek you with all of our hearts, Father. May you be glorified not just here in this time that you've made for us, but as we live our lives, demonstrating your love to the world. And we'll give you praise and glory because you are faithful to answer these prayers. In Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to talk here. So last week we talked about kind of the bedrock of, in Acts 2 about the church and what was happening with the early church. But today we're going to hear from Acts 6, and it's interesting because we ended, ended last week talking about how God gave the increase. As the church was just faithful to have fellowship together, to break bread, you know, to study God's word, that, that God added an increase to the people. That was his plan for the church in Jerusalem. And so here we find in six, you know, six chapter, uh, six chapter, four chapters later, that in those days, the number of disciples was increasing, still increasing. So they're, they're getting a larger church gathering, a larger group of believers together, which is exciting stuff. And that's, that's the first thing I wanted to point out, that God is still being faithful to his people. And look what happens. It says in verse one, the Grecian Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. Okay, I want to take a minute and just kind of sit on this because I think it's interesting. So what we have here is we have a group of people who've been following God for a long time, even though he's been silent. It's the Hebrews. The Hebrews have been waiting for God to do something, to show up. And honestly, for 400 years, there's been nothing before Jesus that was any revelation from God that they could really dig into. There was just nothing there. 
And then they have this revelation in Christ, and they become believers. It's interesting to me, by the way, that, that, that Paul goes through, or that the author of Acts goes through the trouble of, of articulating the difference between a Hebraic Jew and a Grecian Jew. Now, the original text just says the Hebrews and the Greeks. But you see, we know from the context that they're believers. And, and at this early stage, there's not a lot of clarity between what it means to be a Jew or a Christian. They haven't really put on this new identity in Christ as much as they've done amazing things. They've done miracles. They've had signs and wonders. They've, they've, they've reached out to the nations. People are hearing them in their own tongues. There's all this awesome stuff in the church, and yet they still see each other as what? Different. Different, right? I mean, fundamentally, this disagreement comes up because someone in the church says, well, they're not like me. That's what happens. And when they begin to see one another as different, not the same, not one body, not one flesh, not one people, not one group of, of followers, not that all of a sudden they start to become like, you know, envious of what's happening for someone else. Well, why is that person being treated like that when I'm not? Why is that person being careful when I'm not? Now, I want to be careful because it's interesting in here. In the text, it says that their widows were being overlooked, Right? I mean, this was the fundamental biblical command. You know, Jesus sums up all the law and the prophets when he says, love the Lord your God and love others as yourself. And one of the ways that they would show love to others is whenever there was someone who no longer had anyone to care for them, the church would care for them. Care for them. And they're like, why are we treating people not the same? It's different. They didn't see themselves as being one. That's interesting to me. The second thing is this. When you read this passage, and maybe, and, and you know, we had a meal together today, I mean, maybe you think literally of a guy walking around and going, uh, sir, can I get you some more water? No? Okay. Um, you know what I mean? May I get you your plate for you? No? I mean, right? We think of that kind of waiting. I think, okay, Jesus, you want everyone to be like a waiter, you know? Like, that's the goal in this passage is that everyone should go out and get a job and like, you know, not fast food because you don't really wait there. Well, some of you do. But, you know, like waiting tables, the interesting bit is that this, he, this idea is to, to bring distribution to all the tables the same. That's the accusation being made. Um, it was the same as the money-changing tables that would be laid out. You remember that the apostles had all these people that were selling land and stuff and giving them money to distribute. And then when the apostles were distributing that, those funds, it was being done in an unfair way, <laughs> you know, because they were just not perfect. They were people. And uh, this started this division. So it's not so much like waiting tables like maybe I would have thought it was waiting tables, but it's more like taking what God has entrusted to the church and not using it fairly. That's kind of what it looks like, right? That's what it looks like. So as people were being faithful in giving to this, this newfound group of people who believed Jesus was the Messiah, there was an accusation that the way that was being handled by those people who were proclaiming the gospel was unfair to those who were gathering together. They didn't feel like it was right or proper. All right. So this is what happens. And it says distribution of food, by the way. I want to say this. This is literally what it says. Because their widows were being overlooked in a daily ministry. I mean, you can cut across all the board with that. The daily ministry 
well, well, why are we visiting this person, not that person? Why are we going to this place, not that place? Why do you care about this one, not that one? And these were the kind of questions that they were getting as followers of Jesus. I want you to see what they do. I think it's amazing what they do because it's, it's counterintuitive to maybe what, I don't know, I expected them to do. It says, the 12 gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait tables. And that sounds like they're kind of saying, it wouldn't be right for us to stop doing this, to come down here and do that. But that's not what they meant. I mean, they believed these were important. All these tasks were important. And, and what I'm surprised they didn't do is they probably didn't say, come on, grow up. Do you know who, who you're following in Jesus? Do you know how much you have? I mean, is anyone really being neglected? Does anyone want anything? They could have been more like that, right? But they weren't. When they heard people in the church coming with, you know, concerns that they believe were, you know, not God-honoring, they listened. I think that's instructive for us, that when we start to hear, and you guys hear more of it than I probably do at Family Bible Church, but when you start to hear people expressing concerns about what's wrong or what's not right or what could be better around here, our first response shouldn't be to go, you know, zip it, stifle, <laughs> right? You can't remember that? You know, uh, no, they, they heard, they were concerned. The second thing is almost more amazing, though. They didn't believe they had to do it all themselves. That's amazing. I mean, these dudes were the apostles, you know what I mean? Like, they were there when they watched Jesus, you know, go into heaven. I mean, these were the guys, and, and, and they could have been like, well, I'm glad you came to us, <laughs> you know. You know, they try to manifest some power. They could try to, they're like, no, we're really concerned about that. That's a great option. You know what we ought to do? And what do they do? They go, you know what? Go ahead and pick seven people from amongst yourselves. What? Seven people from amongst yourselves to meet this need. Now that's interesting, because who is there talking to the apostles? The Grecian Jews, right? By the way, let me just say this one more time, because we missed it the first time. The big difference between the Grecian Jews and the Hebraic Jews is the Greeks spoke, oh, some of you are with me, and the Hebrews spoke, huh? Yeah, they didn't talk the same. Matter of fact, they didn't read the same version of the Bible, right? You guys are reading the Greek version. We're reading the Hebrew version. You know what I mean? That's what was going on. So these two people groups come. Well, this one group comes, and he says, go and point seven from among yourselves. That's what the apostles say. I want you to see some things, though. So all of a sudden, the apostles don't say, oh, look, it's our job to fix everything for you. They don't go like, you know, I'm so glad you came because we weren't doing our job before, and now that you've told us, we can get on it right away. That's a temptation in church world, by the way, right now. I can tell you this, honest to God, if you come to me with a problem about Family Bible Church, I might even say to you, you know, I can't, I don't really have time, or I can't do that, or whatever, but I'm going to do every possible stinking thing I can to make that right. And sometimes that behavior is displeasing to God. Sometimes to respond in that way is not pleasing to God. Whenever they say it would not be right for us to neglect, they're saying it would not please God for us to neglect our ministry. It would not please God. It reminds me of Nehemiah in the Old Testament where he's on the wall doing a great work, and they say, Nehemiah, we got problems. you got to come down right now. And he says, we're doing a great work. We can't stop. 
when we're doing things that God's called us to do, we can't stop and chase every concern ourselves. So what they say is this, choose seven from among yourselves. Look at the qualifications. Known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. Known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. That means that, you know, go and look amongst yourself for people who are already earnestly seeking God, who are genuine, who are concerned. Some of the problems could have been that in the early church, had this all gone down, you know, the way it would have happened in the modern church, you see, all of a sudden the pastoral staff would have come in there and they'd have been like all muckety-muck making things right, you know what I mean? But the problem is we would have no idea what we're doing. A lot of well-intended injuries or well-intentioned actions resulting in injury because they really didn't know. Was it really that they were being overlooked? Was it really they didn't have enough? Or was there something else going on that needed to be ministered to? Full of the spirit and wisdom. This becomes the qualifications for those who are leading in the church of God. I find that very encouraging, very encouraging. And, and by the way, look at, he doesn't say, you know, seven from among us, <laughs> like pick seven of us, you know, we'll come and help you out. We'll put together our own committee. We'll come and serve on your subcommittee. No, he's like, you guys pick people that you believe have demonstrated a presence of the spirit and wisdom. And we will, look at what it says, give this responsibility over to them. Boy, you start to see a model for what church could look like. We say that here sometimes. We say this. When you come and you say, you know what someone ought to do? My first question is maybe God's calling you to do that. That's not a crass thing to say to you. I'm saying when God gives you eyes to see and ears to hear of opportunities that we have, maybe God's calling you to lead in that way. The truth is that a few people can't do it all. And maybe you're here believing that God don't need me to be part of the solution. You know, I'm just telling you that's a lie. And we see here demonstrated in Scripture. Pick seven from among yourselves, full of the Spirit and wisdom. And they do. We will turn this responsibility over to them. That means we're going to give them the authority to act. And that's a beautiful thing. I don't believe after the apostles did this that they went back to check up on the Grecian Jews and make sure that it was being handled properly by the committee that was appointed. <laughs> you hear what I'm saying? I just don't think that's I don't think I don't think we see that supported in Scripture. I think they meant it. You know what? We're going to let you handle that. Praise God for your giftedness. And they went on with their call, what they were called to do. It's a beautiful thing when the people of God recognize their gifts and use them at the same time for God's glory without worrying about what's happening with someone else's giftedness. Look what they say in verse 4. And when you do that, we're going to give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. And again, this isn't to elevate, because I don't see that in the text. Some people say, well, that means that they're going to not come down because that's it's just what they're called to do called to pray and know the word of God, proclaim the word of God, but it doesn't mean this lesser to not be doing those things. Interesting. We will then give ourselves, I, I, I would be remiss if I didn't stop and say this. Early on in Acts 2, the word said that they leaned into those four things, right, as followers of the early church. This is what the apostles say. They've had to lean out for this question. But when you guys take responsibility for what God has called you to do, we're going to lean back into our job. That's exactly the same exact word here. 
We're going to lean into the, the ministry of the word and prayer, right? Listening to God and talking to God. Well, this proposal pleased the whole group. Now, here's the deal. They chose Stephen, a man filled, filled with faith and the Holy Spirit. And then Philip and Procurus and the Canor and Timon and the guy, I can't say his name, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. And they brought these, the apostles who prayed and laid hands on them. And that's interesting to me, too. This passage, by the way, is where we get the idea of a deacon. If you've ever been around church world and you heard of deacons, this is where this idea comes from, the diakonos, the servants of the church. And sometimes, though, we relegate that to service, like, you know, like table waiters. It's more than that, though. It's people who overseen the day-to-day stuff. It's people who were doing ministry, the hands and feet of Jesus. And it was no less important than those who were preaching the word and praying. But it was just them being responsive to the giftedness they had and the call that God had in our lives. I will say this to you. Later in the book of Acts, we hear these guys come back around, and many of these guys go on to become evangelists. They go on to become other. So there's this kind of progressive development of their call, but it doesn't mean that it's more or less important when you respond to it. Does that make sense? It's no more big deal for you to say, yes, I'll step up and I'll serve in this need area I see. It's no more of a big deal for you to step out and say, Lord, I'm not comfortable talking to that person or my neighbor or that person at work that needs a friend or whatever it is that you sense that God has in your life. It's no more a big deal for me to quit my job and go into ministry than it is for you to step out of your comfort zone and take that first step of obedience in Christ as a faithful follower. As someone who's been given gifts and power and authority in the kingdom. And then what happens is as we begin to take those steps of obedience, our, our life begins to change. We begin to grow and step into other things. And it doesn't mean it's greater. It's just the next thing God's calling us to do. Many of these who are appointed here go on to serve in mighty ways in the kingdom of God. Well, the apostles prayed God helped these leaders lead well, and then they blessed them. And look at what 7 says. <laughs> so, the word of God spread. How would it have been different if they wouldn't have responded this way? If they had said, we got all the answers, you keep coming to us, we'll get it figured, we'll have a special meeting. No, they said, we believe God has called and empowered you to serve and bless them and let them serve. So the word of God spread. The numbers of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly. And a large number of priests, priests became obedient to the faith. Those who were, who were completely committed to some other lifestyle, completely committed to another way of worshiping God that was now broken or defunct, because they had missed the Messiah's coming. When they saw the faithfulness of the way the church was responding in their giftedness, God changed their hearts, and they began to worship God, being obedient to the faith, he says. That's powerful stuff. That's what I think the church can do if we would live into our gifts that God has given us. And then the last I want to hit here is eight. So now Stephen, I love what he, the author says, a man filled with God's grace and power did great wonders and miraculous signs among the people. 
Like, this Stephen was no ordinary guy. And, and he was a guy who, before this, had there been any other response to the need in the church than the one God had ordered for the church, would have just drifted into the need. You know, I don't know what would have happened to Stephen if he hadn't had someone around him say, you know what, you might be called to do this. That's a great issue. You might be the one that God has given this responsibility to. I think that there's something in this um, for us. As we learn to be the church together, and this isn't a rebuke of you, I think it's probably a rebuke of our leadership here. We should not be so full of ourselves as to believe that we need to solve your problems for you. Pastor appreciation, awesome. Praise God. But listen, you're the people of God. If you believe in Jesus, his spirit is living in you. And I know some of you have taken that step out and you've seen God's power in your life and you've seen the way he can use you. And for some of you, that scares you because you go, whoa, whoa, this means everything is going to change. And I got news. Some of you, everything might, as well, everything's going to change. But don't let the fear of that keep you from being obedient to living to the life that God is calling you to. Because as a church, that would be the biggest failure of mission we could ever have. We to thwart what God is doing amongst his people. The way that all this comes to us as a church is not the way you'd expect it. It's not like a great business plan or business model. It's the way God moves in his kingdom, filled with people who are filled with the spirit and power faithfulness. And I know maybe for many of you, you say, well, I don't, I don't have much faith. Yeah, you don't need much. Well, you got some. You got some. Don't waste it. One last thing. Um, you know what would be the most amazing pastoral gift I could receive. I mean, the one that I would just be like, wow, that's so cool. You guys shouldn't have. <laughs> no, you should have, I mean. Is if you would just be obedient to what God's calling you to do. I mean, even if it's hard for me to take as a pastor of this little church. If you go and you do what Jesus is calling you to do, wow. Thank you, Father, for the work you're doing. Praise God for his faithfulness. See? Pray with me if you would. Father, for the way you're moving amongst your people here at Family Bible Church, I give you thanks and praise for the way you've gifted and empowered them to be your people and to be obedient and to do things that I can't even imagine. I give you thanks and praise. And Father, the truth is it ain't about me at all. It's about you, about your people, and about what you're doing through them. 
And maybe today there's some of us here who've been trying to muster. You know, we've been trying to overreach. We've been trying to do too much. We've been trying to not be faithful and believing that you got this, that you are in charge, that you have authority. And I pray that today we repent of that sin. Help us stop doing what you've called other people to do. And Father, may you raise up leaders as you will amongst your people for your glory and your purpose. And we'll give you praise and glory for the chance to serve together. If there are those that don't know you, I pray that by your grace, you would break into the inner part of their heart. Just like you did for all of us. Who, though we were sinners, you died for us. And you loved us. And today I pray that that would be made very clear to those who may doubt it. And that you would be glorified as they begin a journey in Jesus Christ. Amen.